0: We're in the middle of a series called The House, and today I'll be closing this series out on my end. And I've been torn between two titles for today, you know, um, because this has two sides to it, all right? And today, um, you're going to get to make a choice which house is yours. And, you know, it says that, let me just read a scripture to you and I'll, I'll tell you my titles, all right? If you go to Joshua 24, verse 15, it says this. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you. Alright, so, can I break that down just for a minute? We live in a day that if there's ever been a reality of the Word of God, this is it. The enemy, the world culture you know, the conformity of everything going on, the enemy's hard at work trying to get people to quit desiring to serve God. And not just, I mean, they, they don't want to do God things. And they don't want to, you know what I'm saying, read their Bible. They don't want to pray. They, they don't desire it. It's like the hunger's gone. I mean, you got I, I remember when I was growing up, my mom and dad made me go to church. And I've seen what's taken place through the last two years. There's people now that the only reason why they're here is because your spouse made you come. I'm just going to be blunt. It's like the enemy's after your desire. Because whatever you allow to have your desires, the direction your life's going to go. And one of the ways the enemy gets their desires away from people here, it says, but if serving the Lord seems, to, seems undesirable to you, The enemy will convince people that serving the Lord is unrelevant in the times we live in. You know, when the enemy likes to tell people that when the Bible was written, that it was back then when life was different and everything was, you know like the bible says it is but now we're in the 21st century and you know when god said something was wrong in the word he really don't mean it now you know what i mean it says says marriage really is not that big of a deal anymore most people you know they get married anyway or going to end up in a divorce let's not get married god don't care if we just shack up you know and the enemy tries to convince people that are you know they they think you know what it, uh, you know when the bible said uh that you're to abstain from even the appearance of evil that You know, that doing things nowadays because God didn't know what days we would live in and those kind of things. When the Bible says in Job don't that I make a covenant with my eyes not to look at the things that are harmful to my soul. You know, got, the internet wasn't there. So God really didn't mean pornography is going to mess you up. You know, and the enemy tries to convince people. You know, you might to touch a real touchy one. Huh. You know, they didn't know how to grow good weed back then. And so, you know, I heard the argument for this the other day. Nothing wrong with smoking weed. Because in Genesis, God said that God created grass and he said it was good. All right. And so, you know, I'm here to tell you. The enemy would love to make us think that the word of God is no longer relevant to the day we live in. But I want to break some of this down for us today. All right. If there's anything been Relevant for today is the Word of God. The only thing that's really relevant for today is the Word of God. And so, if the Word of God said it 2,000 years ago, I'm here to tell you, there's still parts of the Word of God that is written in that book put together 2,000 years ago that hadn't even happened yet. And those Scriptures are so relevant. And any Scripture that is still relevant means all the Scriptures are still relevant. And so, if you're here today and you're battling with the desire to serve God, and we try to blame it on the times that we live in, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit do a work in you today. Alright? It says, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. The Bible says here that you get to make the choice. You get to choose for you today. And it says you got to choose it today. And I'm going to give you a secret. I've been... Pastoring for over 25 years now. And I'm going to have to get up in the morning and make the choice again. And I'm going to have to get up the next day and make the choice again. Because any day I don't get up and make the choice to serve God, I will be living like the world that quick. I have to choose every day whom I'm going to serve. Alright, it says this. It says, Whether the God, God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites... In whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Break down some stuff for us real quick. He said here, the God of the Amorites, this is Joshua. They're in the promised land. They moved into the promised land. God had all these things planned for them and it's amazing. And God told them this though, back before we find ourselves here. It says, I'm going to move you into a land that flows with milk and honey. And then a promise comes in that says, you're going to get to come into a land and you're going to live in houses you did not build. And you're going to reap crops that you did not plant. And they had all these amazing promises. And we find ourselves right here in this scripture at that time in their life. Now, I told you, I'm going to tell you the two messages, the two titles of the message I want to give today. It could either be titled, A House of Joy, or... It can be titled "The Haunted House," All right. All right. and I figured Halloween being a fitting day for this, because I'm going to jump around on you guys. I I preached these messages in the early service, and then I think that didn't fit, so we, I move them around. So your scripture going to be a little bit off, because see here in the story, we find David uh, Joshua saying, you know, you can either serve the God of your ancestors that were there before on the other side of the River Euphrates. That's God the Father that created Eve, I mean, Garden of Eden, and He was the God of the world. Or, it says, you can serve the God of the Amorite. Ambuli, what you know the word. All right. And so, this is what it said. That's where they were living there in the promised land, the land of Canaan, that was possessed or inhabited by ungodly nations. And for years, these ungodly nations thrived and went forward. And they built nice houses and planted lots of fields. And when God moved the children of Israel into the promised land by His hand, He began to run out all the inhabitants of the land. And so they would come in and they would find all these houses that were built and cities, with, the, and they were able to move into them. Alright? But Joshua had to say, now that we're where God said we were going to be, there's choices we're going to have to make here. Even though you're where God wants you to be, you might be here today saved. You're actually sitting in a building in a church today. And God, I'm telling you, God's very pleased that you're here Um, because God loves to spend time with you. You say, well, I spend time with God at home. I agree. we, We preach the house of his presence. There's a different presence when we come together as the church. He's very happy you're here today. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit can be grieved. You know, one of the quickest ways to make me man it's me and you set up a meeting time and I get there and you don't come. Right. Yeah, right. I'm mad at you. <laughs> Just letting you know. Stand me up. i only let you do it a couple times. <laughs> I expect y'all to let me stand you up all I want to, but it's the other way around. But see, one of the ways you can grieve the Holy Spirit is when He wants to meet you somewhere, there's an agreement to be there and you don't go. All right. All right. It breaks His heart. Just like with me and my wife. I mean, I I was on the phone with her this morning. And they've not been able to travel with me for several weeks because of puppy babysitting. And they finally got their new homes this week. So Jennifer and the girls will be with me next week because you can't board puppies. And so um, now that they've gone home, she'll be with me next week. But I called her today and said, hey, Jen, I know I was supposed to get there tonight. But some things have shifted and changed. And I'm going to be at the Camden Campus so late tonight. So uh, be okay if i And i got to be honest, it didn't go over real well. Because we made plans for tomorrow and here I am changing them. Does that make sense? And so I was, uh, it grieved her a little bit <laughs> to say it nicely. It, uh, but God has this thing. It, what He wants to do is He's given us a choice. We can either, He said, you know, now that you're in this land, you get a choice to serve the gods of this land, or you make the choice to serve your God but the choice is yours. But then Joshua says, but as for me and my house. So you get either get to choose a house of joy or a haunted house. You say, well, what do you keep meaning by a haunted house? In Leviticus, we find some laws here that were written to the children of Israel during this time of inhabiting the land. And in Leviticus, I'm going to get to the right one. I've got to mess up my, all my notes. Leviticus chapter 14... Now, I'm going to show you how many scriptures are in this, so I'm going to paraphrase it, but I want you to go home and read it. Okay? I'm not going to read all this. I'm going to break the story down for you, for the sake of time, because we're not going to stay here long. They find themselves in the land, the promised land. They're living in houses they didn't build, and they're eating crops they didn't plant, just as God had promised. But they also found, as they began to move in certain houses... That there were things in those houses. That calls well, because it plagues. Here in one translation. And it started affecting the children of God. So, a Levitical law was written. That when you come into these houses. Before you move into them. You were to call a priest. And he was to seal the house up. For seven days and bless the house. After the seven days they would open the house up. And check out verse 37. It says, And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague was on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, red, reddish, and greenish, which appear to be deep into the wall, then what they would do is come out, seal the house again, bless it. And as you're reading on down, the priest would come back, They opened up if that had grown, spread, one translation calls it a mold. Other ones call it plagues. It would grow on into the walls, they come up and they would seal and they would scrape it all out. Go and scrape all this green and red streaks that had grown on the walls out. Go take it outside the city, seal the house up again, and if it kept taking over the house, then they were to do a ritual where they came in, took the priests. And they would take him, I'm going to read this to you all the way down in verse 52 now, it says, And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and a living bird. And then it breaks it on down what they were to do, to make this house a house where God's people could live and flourish. Now, I want to explain this to you a little bit. The history here, what was taking place, was when the children of Israel came into this Promised Land. There were people that were serving other gods, and as God would move the children of Israel into the land, the people would hear it and they would take off running. But they weren't planning on leaving for good; they're just planning on getting away. So this was a idol worshipping nation. So they had all these idols made of gold and different things that they worshipped as their gods. And as the children of Israel would evacuate, I mean, the, the Amorites would evacuate their homes. Before they would, because they didn't know if they'd be captured, they would take their most precious possessions and their idols, and they would dig a hole in the wall. They would put them in the wall, and they would seal them back up inside the walls. So now these houses weren't just ordinary houses. There was something else in them. And now let me jump over. I'm, a, I'm ADD. we are going to follow me for a minute. Hopefully, and these going to come together, okay? I want you to go to Deuteronomy 30 with me real quick. It says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes and His judgments, that ye may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you possess. Again, it's talking about this land that they're in. And God said, I want to bless you. And I want you to multiply, expand. But God said, it's going to take some living certain ways for this to take place. Because He said, I set before you a decision. One translation says it like this. I set before you life and death, prosperity or destruction. I believe that's how the NIV says it. So we have this choice. We can either live a life in a house of joy or we can have a house of destruction and death. What makes the difference is what we choose to allow to be in the house. This scripture says, all right, well, make the choice. And the way you make the choice is this. Keep my statues. Keep my commandments. Really, another modern way it says, choose to live a life that you want to please God. Do you know how my girls proved to me they love me? And that's real churchy talk. But you know, they, they, wanna, they live a life to make me want to be happy. is they obey me. Because they're not but 13, 11, and 5. But at this point, they've learned if they don't obey me, they're going to find the unhappy dad. I love my kids unconditionally. And there's nothing they could ever do to make me not love them. But I can't tell you I'm always pleased with them. As a matter of fact, seems like every day they find a new way for me not to be pleased with them. But it's all up to them. Their actions can determine that. I just don't wake up and say, you know what, I just don't like them kids today. Their actions get to make this choice. The Bible says God loves you unconditionally. But the truth is God's not always pleased with you. And so when you find a father that's not pleased with them... You find a father that wants to bless his kids, but i got to be honest, there's certain times with my girls, I can't do it. Because of the choices they're making, I can't bless them the way I want to. And this says this, is a today you get a choice. You can either be a house full of joy and live a life that you've always heard that God wanted you to live, blessed, fulfilled. Or you can make a choice... To do it like the world and you're going to find yourself living in a house that's haunted. Because there will be things inside that house that are disrupting the life that God has for them. Here in this scripture of the where the houses are getting green streaks on the wall there was something buried out of sight on the inside. But you'll find this, anything that's hidden on the inside will eventually start showing up on the outside. And by choices of that scripture that I make, whom I'm going to serve, will determine what, to allow, what I allow to remain in the house, will determine what eventually other people will begin to see and notice affecting me. You ever met those people who's like, God just love more than you? like they—they they, God blesses them all. The time. You get, here, they get God gave them a new car, God gave them a new house, God gave, you know, And he gave him and you start thinking, man, why God do you love them more than you? I'm here to tell you, all right? There's a story of the disciples, and it says this. The only mention of who, what disciple God loved the most was in the Gospels, and it said this. There was John, the disciple whom God beloved. And you're like, what? You, well, you know who wrote that? John. <laughs> John wrote that. It's in the book of John. It says, John, the disciple who God loves. And the thing about it is this. Let me tell you the truth. John was the only disciple out of the 12 that died of old age. He was the one that God gave revelation to the entire body. He was the only one that got to see how all this was going to end up. So I'm going to be honest with you, the facts kind of look like God loved him more than anyone else. All the other disciples died horrible deaths. Peter, the one that God chose to build his church on, do you know how he died? It's in the Box, Fox's Book of Martyrs. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it recorded how the Christ, the early church Christians were killed. Well, what they did with... James, Jesus' brother, do you know how he died? They took him up on top of a, a building, a multi-story building. They said, deny Christ. And they said, no. So they threw him off. And he hit the ground. It didn't kill him. So they came down to him and said, deny Christ. He said, no. So they stoned him and hit him with stones. And every time they would say, deny Christ, and they wouldn't until he eventually laid there and died. It's a pretty horrific death. You know how they killed Peter. The Bible says they brought Peter in and said, deny Christ. He said, no. They said, and Peter's the only disciple that we know, according to Scripture, that was married. And this is what they told Peter. Deny Christ. He said, no. He said, if you don't, we're going to kill your wife. He said, cannot deny Christ. So he brought his wife's head and her hands in on a silver platter. They said, now deny Christ or we're going to kill your kids. He said, cannot deny Christ. And they brought his kids, hands and head, to him on a silver platter. And they said, deny Christ or we're going to kill you. He said, I cannot. He said, then you're going to die the worst death that we can give, which was crucifixion at the time. He said this, I'm not worthy to die the way that my Savior died. He said, hang me upside down then. And they crucified him upside down. So... Thinking of how God loved John more, now it kind of makes a lot of sense. He's the only one that died of old age. So how could that be? Does God love more people? No. This is what we see about John. Decisions that John made positioned him to receive the blessings of God at another level. On the night of the crucifixion, every other disciple ran, except John was present. There with the Lord. Choices that John made in his life revealed and appeared on the outside like he was Jesus' favorite. Same thing works in our life. When you see somebody's life just being amazingly blessed, it's not by chance. It's by the choices that they made in each day that they awoken. Choose you this day. Whom you're going to serve. That's churchy talk. It really says this. Choose you this day. How and who you're going to live your life for. Because if you allow the enemy to convince you that there's not a difference in the way that we live, and the way that the world can live, we'll find ourselves calling ourselves God's chosen people, but our houses have evidence there are things in it that shouldn't be there. Now, I'll go another step, and we're going to talk about supernatural. You know, they say only only about sixty percent of the church in the nation today believes that there's still a devil. They believe they can believe in God, but they don't really believe that their God could actually allow there to be a devil. I'm here to tell you, the very fact that there is a God is proof that there is a devil. Because when you read the Word of God that reveals who God is, it also reveals who the devil is. The devil is a roaring lion going around seeking whom he may devour. And just like there's a God and there's a devil, there are angels and there are demons. We live in a natural world, but we are really in a supernatural existence. We live in and through time on this earth. But when this earth is over, you're going to live for eternity and there is no time to eternity. The best way the Bible describes of it is a day with the Lord is like a thousand days here. There's not a calendar in heaven clicking down times. So I believe Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour because except my Father. God lives outside of time. That's hard for us to understand and hard for us to understand. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, in the beginning, you would think that's when God started. But no, He was there in the beginning creating. God lives outside of time. We live in time. We only understand living in time. But that's why God can be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Because anything that lives in time, time changes. Don't believe it? Look at one of my high school pictures. I was skinny. I had a lot more hair. And it was a different look. You leave somebody alone long enough in time and it makes a huge difference. God was the same yesterday. God is the same today. And God will be the same forever. Because that's who God is. I'm telling you all this to tell you this. Choices we make in our time affects what God can do in our lives. Choosing this day whom you'll serve... The, the choice of choosing God to be your Savior changed your eternity. Because when your time here is over, it will determine where you're going to spend the rest of your existence. We have a choice whether we have our house that God planned for us to live, or we live in a house that's affected by why we're allowed to be there. So I want to break down real quick today The difference. And I want to break down the, the understanding that we have supernatural involvement in our life at all times. But we get to choose what supernatural side is involved in our lives. You say, Craig, do you believe in demons and angels? Yes. I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush, and I'm not afraid of them. But I do believe in supernatural influences in this world. How many of you guys remember the movie Amityville Horror? The story of the thing that happened up in New York. This kid killed these people. And when he went to trial, their lawyers, the complete defense of this was that he was hearing voices that told him what to do. And to where he heard them for so long, he acted on them. Well, we think, that's just a crazy kid. Well, after the kid was tried and went to jail, a family named the Lutz... Moved into the area, did not know the house, bought it, thought they got a deal, bought it for $70,000. Moved into the house, and four months after the day they bought it, they ran out of the house, never to return, leaving everything in it, and said, there's something inside that place that we can't be any part of. And they just walked away. So it wasn't just a crazy kid. There were people that didn't know anything about it taking place as well. You say, what are you saying, Cricket? I'm here to tell you that our lives are always being affected by supernatural forces. The thing about it is I get to choose what force is at work in my life. Now, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Whom, it says, you have been given from God. You are not your own, for you have been with the prize. So glorify God in your bodies. Again, make a choice to live for God because your house is built for the Holy Spirit. But the truth is this too. The Bible says you can't serve two masters. That if there are things in your life that the Holy Spirit didn't bring in there, then what takes place in your life is there's this war going on, but there is no king. So we have this choice whether or not we're going to live our life or live in this house that is demonically influenced or God-driven. Now, there's a weird word in the New Testament that we have one word for, But it actually has two different words in the Greek, but we've translated it as in one word, and it's the word possession. This brings up the theological idea. Can Christians be possessed by a demon? Because demons are real. Demonic spirits are real. So the Bible says... My sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. There are strangers' voices out there speaking to you, trying to influence you. So what it is, is do I believe Christians can be possessed? That means two words. There is the word possession, that means ownership. And then there's the word that means under the influence of. In the Greek, in the New Testament, there are two different possessions. We just, so just like the, in the Greek, there are seven words for the word love. But we only have one word for the word love. All right. So there are two talkings about it. And so this is we can see the possession, the ownership in the story of the demonic boy. The demoniac is what it calls it in the Gospels. It's where the kid runs up and starts worshiping Jesus. Let me give you a little hint about this, though, about demonic presence. They can't stop you from worshiping God. Aren't you so glad? There was at least 2,000 demons inside that boy and it couldn't keep him from worshiping God. They're going to tell you, you don't got to worry which force is stronger. You, you, they, they could not keep him. Because when he got to him, Jesus said, started talking to him and He said, You know, what's your name? And the demonic spirit inside of him said, Legion. He'd given Himself possession to this spirit. He'd given Himself over to it. And He now belong to that spirit. Alright? But then there's the word under the influence that demonic spirits can have over us. And it's not that they own me. Because as we read a while ago, Jesus has bought us with the price. Once I let Him, what price He paid for me, own me, I don't got to worry about a demonic spirit possessing me by owning me, being in me and controlling me. But I, as a believer... Some people call it oppression. As a believer, I can be possessed in the point of, under the influence of. This is the best picture of it, intoxicated by. You take a a person, you put a bottle of whiskey in their hand. They can be a good dad, good husband, good father. Put that whiskey inside of them. And that whiskey that they've allowed into their life will now begin to influence the way they think, the way they talk, the way they act. And you will have a good man doing bad things as long as he's under the influence of an alcoholic substance. But when he sobers up, he regrets every bit of it. That's also the word possession. Now, do I believe that the children of Israel could live in a city that God had given them, they were God's chosen people, but they did not do what they were supposed to do to get the things out of the house that they were living in and it influence and affect who they were and their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if they didn't go through the ritual there in Leviticus, the plague would affect the people. And it would begin to show up. One translation calls it the plague of leprosy. Gross would begin to show up on their hands. Sores. Fingers would start falling off and noses would begin to rot away. So there's an outward sign of what I allow on the inside to grow. And so today I want to talk about this. Which are you choosing to live? Because I tell you, God has so many things for you. Let's first talk about how do I know what's at work here? Alright? you got to understand... Supernatural identities or supernatural forces always live in different atmospheres. It takes an atmosphere for a supernatural thing to live. That's why when the demonic boy said, don't cast us out because we'll have to go to the abyss, so let's go into that pig over there. So that's where he went. They, They have to be contained in an atmosphere. Ephesians 4, I want you to see this, says this. Therefore, verse 25, says, therefore, putting away lying, each one of us, you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place, you see it, place to the devil. The devil can't just exist and and, you know, take over anything. Has to be something that you give him. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this. The Bible says that uh, if a thief comes to the house, he first has to bind the strong man. It says, and then he can clear it all out. So, but when the strong man casts him out, the strong man will go away and wander for a while. But then it says this he will return to the house, and if he finds the house empty, he will come in. And He will bring seven others in with Him. It says, the man was better off before than he is now. Me choosing what I let into my life determines who's in control of the house. Alright, we're going to go somewhere there. I'm I'm trying to lay it out here. You say, Craig, you're trying to scare me to death. No, let me me tell you this. Isaiah 4, let me tell you this. Isaiah 4, verse 5 says this. As believers... What's available to us is a supernatural defense that keeps the devil in any demonic influence out of our life. It says this, it says, And then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion. That's represented in the Bible as the church and the people in the church. It says, And above her assemblies a cloud, of, a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of flame fire by night. For over all the glory, there will be a covering. I, as a believer, don't have to walk around worrying about what the devil's going to do to me today. There is a covering. The Bible says, I mean, you say, that, well, that's describing, the that well, Isaiah written after. God actually was a cloud by day and a fire by night. He's saying, the same way, I did that for them. They were living in a wilderness for 40 years with wild animals, with snakes, with giants, with all kind of enemies that were trying to destroy them. But they did not have to be concerned or worried because everywhere they went, there was a cloud of fire at night and there was a cloud, I mean, a a pillar of fire by night and a cloud over them by day. say, We as believers don't have to worry about what the devil can do to us. We as believers have to decide what we let the devil in our lives to do. There's a difference. I have the choice whether or not I have, I live a life and I live in a house that is affected by plagues that the enemy has put in. Or I choose to serve the God that promised me and gave me this new life. And so, I want to break down. One, he he lives in atmospheres. Like, for example, he's Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, put away line, each one of you, speaking truth with his neighbor, for you are members of one. Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, working with his hands. What is good? Breaking it down says this. The way I choose to live. And act and walk determines what influence I have working in my life. And the choice is mine. If you allow the enemy to change your thinking, that we live in a world that God is no longer relevant, like it said before, if you quit desiring living for God, I need to break this down for you real quick. You can be saved and still be living in a haunted house. What is a haunted house? house is a house where demonic activity is present in, causing torment, fear, worry, and affecting the quality of life that you have. Paul faced the same problem we do now. He had a church that they started accepting Jesus, but because their life was one way before they met Jesus, and then their life completely changed after they did, they started thinking that, you know... Jesus did all the work. We really don't have to do the changing. Alright? So what they began to do was, they began to live the way they did before they met Jesus. They did not understand what's called a dispensation. And when you go to Bible college, they teach you in theology, that we live in dispensations. What dispensations are, they're a length of time that God chooses in these time frames how to govern during that time frame. That's why when you read in the Old Testament and you see the judgment hand of God, that's a different time frame than we live in now. There's a, there was the dispensation of creation. You see it in Genesis 1. Then there was the dispensation of innocence. That's where you see Adam and Eve living with no sin. God interacted with them totally different than he did after the dispensation of consciousness. When they bit the apple and poof, all of a sudden they had this the understanding of what sin was, God had to quit acting with them the way he did. He the, the thing about dispensations is that's why he lived. Then there's the dispensation of hum, human government. And that's where, you know, after the flood, people had to try to figure out how to serve the Lord in a time that it was up to them. Then there came the dispensation of promise. And that's where we see Abraham all the way to Moses, where people, God was promising them things. If they would live a certain way, then God would do this for them. As a matter of fact, Abraham was the only man in the Old Testament that God said was accounted righteousness because he simply believed. Because God said, if you'll just believe what I tell you... I will be able to work in your life, and no one else was able to get righteous in the Old Testament, except for everyone, because in that dispensation, that's the way it was. Then there came the dispensation which Moses brought in, and God changed the way he functioned when he brought out the dispensation of law, and he introduced a set of rules that if you want to live like live for me, you got to follow these. If you don't, then this is what's going to happen. And the reason why God introduced the dispensation of law is because the Bible says that He wanted to show us it's a sign that none of us measure up. Because during the dispensation of human government, people thought they were as good as God. And they were building tires of Babel to get to God and they were doing all that. So they, we've now God gave us this sign saying, look, these are the rules. And the truth was nobody could live up to them. So they weren't punishment, but in the dispensation of law, there was either right and there was wrong. And if you stepped across the line of right to wrong, judgment, bam, hit your life. There were laws that if you broke, they stoned you instantly. There were laws when they were worshiping the golden calf, and there was, God had already told them, there can be serve no other God before me, the ground opened up and swallowed them up. That's the judgment hand of God. I'm so thankful I don't live in the dispensation of law. And the truth of the matter is, none of you guys were ever born into the dispensation of You have never understood or felt the judgment of God in your life. A lot of times, though, we try to convince ourselves, that's just God judging me or when things go wrong. Or that's just God doing this. God, the Bible says that God is good and can only do good. And during the dispensation of law, it was the law that broke people, not God. But the law was, if you live this way, I will do this. The law was if you live this way. And so God chose in that dispensation. That he was bound by His Word. That's what it was. But then, Jesus came on the scene and it introduced the dispensation of grace. And that's where we're all living now. We're living in what's called the dispensation of grace. What grace means is unmerited favor. That means this. None of us are getting what we deserve. God has only done good things in our life for us. And the problem with that is, see, you say, well, how can God change that? Because in the dispensation of grace, He sent Jesus to die. And when Jesus died, He paid the price for all of our sins. Now, in this life, that is at work in our life because of the dispensation we live in. But if you die without accepting the price to be paid, you will get the judgment of God on the other side of your your funeral. When you open your eyes in heaven, there's judgment. So in this time, we're living in dispensation. The problem with dispensation of grace is because you've never fully got what you deserve. We start thinking what we're doing is a little okay. And it's not going to be that bad. And God really don't care about that stuff. As a matter of fact, Paul wrote it like this in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. How shall we who died in sin... How shall we who died in We'll speed up real fast be baptized with Christ for his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that Jesus, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, even so also should you walk a newness of life. Alright, the problem with it is now there's a teaching in the church that grace gives you permission to sin. We're 007 Christians. We have a license to sin. And so, you know, because grace, Jesus did it all. Yeah, Jesus paid for everything. It was enough. The thing about it is this. You're living under what He did. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The judgment of God is at work still. It's just all falling on Jesus right now. He was beat. He was crucified. He was hanged. But if you choose not to allow grace to be at work in your life... The judgment will come on you. If you don't allow what Jesus did to be your price in your life, you will find the judgment of God. As a matter of fact, there are three unforgivable sins in the Bible. Wouldn't you like to know what they were? They're very important to me because I would like to know. if There are three things in the Bible that if I do, I can't ever go to heaven. One, Number one is this. If you die without ever accepting Jesus as your personal Savior... You don't matter. Even if you were born in the dispensation of grace, you're going to step into eternity and you're going to hell. It's clear in His Word. Number two, if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, Jesus said this, for this there is no forgiveness. That's scary. I'm going to be honest with you. We're on Halloween. I can have fun with that. Scary. So you said the question is now, what is blaspheming of the Holy Ghost? Nobody knows. No theologian Direct breakdown can be told of this, that. But we do know who has done it and who hasn't. Wouldn't you like to know that? Alright. This is how you know. If you've ever blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Or if you have not blasphemed the Holy Ghost. If you ever feel convicted of sin and done wrong. If you ever feel the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you ever, you know, come to a place where you're sorry for actions that you've taken. You have not. Blaspheme the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says no man comes to the Father but by the leading of the Holy Spirit. There is no conviction without the Holy Spirit being involved in you. So if you still have the Holy Spirit at work in your life, you have not done it. Let me tell you this. Don't play with it. Blaspheming the Holy Ghost. I used to be a children's pastor. My children's pastor, we would teach kids about speaking in tongues, and you know, for a puppet to speak in tongues, we'd be like, Untie my bow tie, untie my bow tie, untie my bow tie, I drive a Honda, I drive a Honda. All right? And that's not blaspheming the Holy Ghost. You know why? Blasphemy has to happen out of the hearts, and then turns into an action of the hand. And we were not doing that. So you say, Well, I, I used to talk bad about those tongue talkers. Don't matter. If your heart wasn't to blaspheme, just directly attack and go against the Holy Spirit, you and you're convicted of sin. You don't got to worry about that one. I just make sure I don't. I have a fear of the Lord and nothing to say. If that could be, I'm not. Third, unforgivable sin. And this is the one that gets the most scrutiny and argued about. But I'm going to show it to you in the Scripture. Because there are denominations that teach eternal security. And I just made a lot of people mad. If you have a Baptist background, you've been taught eternal security. Alright, eternal security says, once saved, always saved. Always saved. But you got to get into the theological side of that belief. This is what they teach. That if you are once saved, always saved, you come, you come to the altar, you do the walking of the aisle, you stand up before God, before men, then you walk out and murder somebody, then you weren't really saved. Or you wouldn't have done that. You know what I'm saying? That's the hole in eternal security. Let me read you a scripture, okay? Because I'm going to put this to rest. If you go to Hebrews chapter 10... Verse 26, it says this, If we deliberately, that means makes a decision, that means makes a choice, we make a conscious mind to keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. What that says is, and people want to argue, and I agree. I'll, I agree with both of you. You say, Cricket, what do you believe? I believe in both. I believe that you can be eternally secure. Just keep choosing Jesus. You'll never have another worry about it. All right? And I also believe, though, that those here, it says, that have chosen Jesus, and they make a conscious choice to walk away. It says that if they make a deliberate decision to quit serving God, to go back to what they were, to get back into the things that they were before, the Bible says there's no sacrifice that covers that, and their end result is the judgment of God, and they'll be consumed by fire where God's enemies will go. You have to take that out if you want to believe in eternal security, okay? But you can't take it out. So what it's saying is this, if you choose to serve the Lord, and you choose to not anymore, And you die during that time, before you choose to go back and serve the Lord, I'm telling you, you're going to hell. That's hard. But that's not God's plan. The Bible says, God is the will of God that none should perish. So what He's done is given you a choice. Choose life or choose death. He says, today, make the choice. I have to make the choice every day. Now, that's all hard stuff. I want to turn it to the good thing. Is that right? We just close with the good. Because that's not God's will for your life. He never wants your life to be tormented by demonic and evil spirits. He never wants there to be a right for depression to come into your life. He never wants there to be a right. And the thing about it is, as long as you make the choice to live your life the way that God has asked you to live, or God has showed you to live, then your life will never be that. As a matter of fact, New Testament says, nevertheless, it will never be less than anything that God has promised you. So, how do we do that? How do we choose life over death? How do we choose good over evil? This is how you do it. You ready? I'm going to break it down for you real fast, and we're going to be done. In, Psalm, in Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, they're probably going to have to bring it up because I got my notes all out of order. Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it gives us the secret to not just choose life over death, not just to choose God's way over our way, how to shut the door of demonic influence in your life. It's also the way to live the greatest life you could ever imagine on this earth. He said this, Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, that's God directly saying this, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me. they say honor. Another word to put there is fear. Those that fear me. Fear is not afraid. Fear is reverence. Another word to say there is please. The Lord says, those that make the choice to please me. It says this, I will honor, I will please them. That's the strongest promise in the Bible I have found. Because this is what it says. It says that if I make the choice to honor God, what is honor God? Well, in Colossians 3, it says this. Everything you do, you do it as unto God. You don't do it as unto men. It meaning this, that not allowing circumstances in your life to determine how you're going to respond. But you make a decision that the way I'm going to get up in the morning is not let the tail wag the dog, but let the dog wag the tail means that I decide before my day even starts that today I'm going to live a life Pleasing to the Lord. And as I go through my day, and every decision I make to please the Lord in different situations, it's not me just living right. It's me doing it so that He can be happy. The Bible says the promise out of that is that He will move into your life and give you a life that you can be happy in. He says, if you please me, I'm going to please you. This way what I said. If you will get up every day and as much energy and decisions as you put in your life to pleasing God, He will get up at the same measure and put that much energy and that much time into making your life that much happier for you. In other words, if you'll please God, He's going to give you a life you're pleased with. I tell you, for years, the enemy convinced me that that wasn't so. If I live a life that God's happy with, I'm going to live a boring, hard, can't, don't, all these other things. But God is saying this. If you will make a choice to please me, the promise connect to is that. Down to everything. This is what I've learned in my marriage. There's some things I do in my marriage for Jennifer. But what I've learned is this. When I do those things for Jennifer, I get... Jennifer's affection and attention back. But this is what I've learned at another level. In my marriage, I can do the same thing to Jennifer, but do it for God, and I get both of their love and affection and attention involved in my life. That's the good thing. Let me tell you on the bad things. Alright? The way that I choose to fight with Jennifer... I can be mean. I know y'all don't believe this. But I can be a mean jerk. And it's natural for me to be that way. But when I make a decision to not respond or fight in our marriage that way, not because I don't want to hurt Jennifer Phil, She's a tough girl. She can whoop me. And so I don't hold back punches for her because she's tough. I mean, not physical punches, but arguments. I can tell you. Then what happens, she ain't, but if I make the decision, not for her, but I make the decision to do that for God, God makes that part of my marriage the very best and most fulfilling part of my marriage because I did it for Him. On my job. When I do jobs that you know involve me going to do, there's a lot of parts of my jobs I hate. I hate water leaks. I, I have a, a maintenance contracting company. We do real estate. I also pastor. And when I get a call about water leaks, Wade was in the car with me yesterday. They just aggravate the fuck. They may be watching. I hate to get them calls. And because I'm not a licensed plumber, I'm just a contractor. I can send plumbers or whatever I want to. But I got a call last week about somebody doing it, and they couldn't get any plumbers out, and so they were putting it back on me. And I thought, I'm not doing that. And I heard God say, you wouldn't do it for me. And instantly I saw this opportunity to do everything I do, not for the owner of that condo and not for the HOA boards, but I got a chance to do this for God. So I drove out there. We cut this saw out. We cut a hole through the ceiling, found the polybutane text lines that were busted. We put sharp bites on it, closed up, screwed the stuff. I was covered in sheetrock, ceiling blow and dirt. And I screwed up and she came up, the condo we came up and says, what do I owe you? I said, because I didn't want to do it. I said, I didn't do this for you. I said, today I had an opportunity to do something for God. You just got to reap the benefit of it. She handed me a $500 check and said, this is what I was going to have to pay a plumber. I'd rather give it to you. Do you know how God does that? If I would have told her my price, what I would have done it for, I'm not a plumber. I don't think like plumber charges. I would have said 150 bucks. That's how I see. I do, and I, I was speaking to a women's recovery group Wednesday, and she said, What well, do you mean that she worked for Wendy? She goes, I hate washing that. I like all that, but I hate washing that. I said, Then you make the decision tomorrow. You go, and when it's time to wash the dishes, You don't wash them for your boss or for your check. You make a decision that I'm going to wash these as if I'm washing them for God. And you wash them the way that you would give them back to God. And that will please God. And when you please God, the Bible says, He will move into your life and position things to where you can be pleased with it. And I'm here to tell you, what your thinking of blessing is, is nothing compared to what God's thinkings of blessings are. And so when I chose to do that for God, and I did it with a good attitude, and I was happy and all that, then God turned around and paid me almost three times what I was there. I, I expect when I go back next week and speak at the lady's house that she's going to tell me she's got a promotion because the word doesn't change. And so you want to know the secret to being the Johns that live a life that it looks like God loves the most, it's not that God loves them more. They've decided that they want to please God more than anyone else. And when all the other disciples ran off doing what they wanted to do and living how they wanted, protecting themselves, John said, even if I die, I'm going to be at the foot of the cross. God moved into John's life and caused blessings to happen where he was the only one that was used at that level. The secret To live in a fulfilled, happy life is not living a perfect life. Because I'm going to be honest with you. You're never going to make it through a day without messing up. I can have 100% good intentions and still end up screwing it up like you can't even imagine. That Paul said, that thing I don't want to do, I do. And the thing I do want to do, I don't. It comes down to this. You make the decision to please God. God will make the decision to please you. Not those that actually please God. Because i got to be honest, God's not been pleased with a lot of my things that I did. But every time my heart was to please Him, He pleased me. So Bob says He looks at the heart. And so when I lay down things in my life, and I get things out of my life, because not that they're necessarily sin, but I know they would be pleasing to God, it allows God to move into my haunted house and run every demon devil out. When that demoniac kid ran down and began to worship, God kicked every one of them out. Your decisions to please the Lord is what releases a life of joy, happiness. And kings don't think the way we do. I tell this story all the time. There was a uh, Middle East king that came over to America to play golf. And while he was here, he hired a professional golf player to give him lessons Thing. So the golf pro showed him a few techniques and it instantly increased the value of his game. And the king was just amazed. I can't believe you did that. I want to bless you. He said, no, no, man, you've already paid me. You, you paid me to do this. He said, no, I, you don't understand. This means so much to me. This made me so happy. I want to bless you. What can I give you? And he said, oh, just give me a golf club or something when you get home. So he went home and a real estate agent called him about 90 days later and said, hey, the king of so-and-so has asked us to contact you and want you to come down and sign the deed to your new golf club. 18 holes, clubhouse, and country club. See, kings think different than we do. So what we think is blessing God when blessing gets in God's hands, it's so much bigger than us. Because kings think different. Last scripture, I'm done. Malachi chapter 3 says this. Verse 15 says there was a group of people that were saying, the righteous, the unrighteous, are more blessed than we are. The unrighteous have better lives than we are. We ought to live like they do because they have a better life than we do. And then sixteen says this, but there was a small group of people. And if you're reading in the New King James, it above it says the remnant church. It says there were people that, in their conversation, they honored the Lord. And it said God did this. He said He heard them. I want you to know, God's listening to every conversation you have. God's everywhere you go. God even looks at the intent of the heart of why you do what you do. And He's paying attention. You need to know this. He's not looking to judge you. We live in the dispensation of grace. What He's looking for is someone that says, I want to please you. Because God's heart is to pour blessings into your life at a level that you can't handle. But it's connected to the amount and the effort and the energy you put into pleasing Him. Got to be honest with you. Your life got to get way past what is sin and what's not sin. Your blessed life starts when you start deciding is God pleased. You know how my girls, how do my girls and they've learned me. And Jennifer says they got you wrapped around your finger. They're manipulating you. They've learned that if I'm pleased, they're blessed. And so I'll walk in the door, and I know a lot of times it may not even be authentic. All three of them. Lexi now is 13. They come tearing across that house, sliding in and wrap their arms around me. And they know, I mean, Lexi, I know that's not a teenager activity because 15 minutes later, she's back talking me. But I know that they've learned that this, if they put the effort into making me happy, I'm about to put the effort into making them happy. And usually on my way home, I stop somewhere, whether it's a gas station to get them candy or if it's at a Walmart and I get them a toy, I'm usually walking in the door with something for them. And the minute they make me happy, I'm just like, here, take this, take this, take this. But I've also learned, they've also learned this. If that ain't happy, the blessings ain't there. And so Malachi says this. There was a group of people that decided to speak good things of the Lord. And God heard them. And the devil wants to tell you God's watching over you with the magnifying glass to thump you when you mess up. But the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro seeking for a man that is pleasing to the Lord. He's not looking for your mess ups. He's looking for your opportunities to put things into your life. And this is what it says. It says, it's the only place in the Bible this is written. It says that he puts in, it's in Malachi chapter 3, he says, he takes out the book of remembrance. That's weird. Book of remembrance, what is that? It not show up anywhere else. We don't understand that in our culture. Let me tell you, the only other reference to this in the Bible, but it's a, it's a mid-eastern culture for centuries. Kings keep books of remembrances. In the story of Esther, when Mordecai saved the king's life, there was a plot to kill him and he revealed it. The Bible says that Mordecai saved his life. Time had passed by. And one night the king was laying in bed and he couldn't sleep. He was tormented. So he got up and he went to the room of scrolls. He pulled out a scroll. And these are the scrolls of remembrance of events and things that have taken place in in the kingdom. And he said he opened up one and he read how Mordecai had saved his life. And then he looked on down and he saw, and I never blessed him for it. So he went to another guy named Haman. And Haman was Mordecai's enemy. And he said, Haman, if I want to honor somebody, if I want to bless somebody, what would it do? He said, oh, put him on your horse, ride him to the town, make everybody know that you're his favorite and let everybody know and celebrate. It's just like you riding in. And when that happened, the king said, Great, I want to do that to Mordecai. And it just crushed Haman. Let me tell you something. When you make the choice to please the Lord, let me tell you a secret. What the world considers success, God begins to put on you. And God will begin to bless you in ways that the world wish they could have. And the Bible, so that was a book of remembrance. And God said this when even your conversation, you start watching your talk. Not much your act, your walk, your talk what you've got going on in your life Just as little as your talk And we don't think a lot about talk Because we think it's okay to say things In the heat of the moment Or you know what I'm saying, get tired And be, we let our mouth run loose God said He's watching Even as little as words Opened up the door and says He will put it in the book of remembrance That means He's going to write it down Now you need to understand the importance Of writing things down Anything God ever writes down Is going to happen People wonder if the Bible's still being written. Absolutely. This proves it. Because every time you make a choice to please the Lord, he writes today, puts it in a book. And once Jesus writes it down or God writes it down, it becomes the word of the Lord. And when it's written down, it's going to happen. And He, I believe this. And I'm preaching so I'm going to tell you how I want to. I believe that he has to write it down in that book once so it activates it as the word of the Lord. Just like every scripture written in the Bible happens. I also believe this. He writes it down because He's going to make sure that it does happen because God can forget things. Did you know that? We can. But the Bible says that God, when we ask for forgiveness, He forgets it. You remember everything anybody's ever done to you. So this is hard to understand. God forgets your mistakes. Forgets, blank. But I believe He puts it in this book to make sure it can never happen be forgotten and the blessings have to come. So I'm here to tell you this. If you will simply get up every day and the amount of energy you put into pleasing God, know that God's going to get up every day and put the same amount of energy into making your life so pleasing But His hand so much bigger than yours, you're going to constantly feel like I need to please God more because I don't deserve all that you've done. What kind of house do you want? want a house full of disease and mold or do you want to live a life that's pleasing to God that he will get up every day going before you making it all says every bumpy place straight every crooked place level he will go before you says when a man pleases the Lord he will even make your enemies at peace with you Bible says this Enoch he didn't do what in Hebrews 11 It says, Abraham believed and counted righteous. It says, Moses denied the riches of a Pharaoh to please the Lord. But then it just gets to Enoch. And this is what it says about Enoch. It says, he didn't do anything great. But as a matter of fact, he did the greatest. It says, he pleased the Lord. Every time I don't say what I want to say to my wife. But I say what God would be pleased with. Every time I don't say what I want to say to my boss. I say what God would be pleased with. Every time I turn on the computer, I don't look at what I want to look at, but I look at what God would be pleased with. Every day that I I get up and go somewhere, I go where, not where I want to go, but go where God would be pleased. The Bible says God goes into my future and puts in things that I will walk into and my life will please me. Are you happy with where your life is right now? I want to ask you this. It's as simple as making a decision. I'm going to please the Lord today. This is the absolute truth. Take it to the bank. Every area I choose to please God in becomes the best area of my life. Absolutely. When I choose to please God in my marriage, my marriage becomes the best part of my life. When I choose to do it at work, I love getting up and going to work because God blesses me so much in work. When I when I do it in every part. So I want to put this channel before you. Don't live in a haunted house no more. Man, live in a house that God can show up every day, ring the doorbell, and leave you an Amazon package of stuff that you didn't even want to order. He just wanted you to have. Amen. Praise God. Well, let me pray with you. Father God, I ask you to help me examine my life. Help me see the things in it that you aren't pleased with. Would y'all like to hear God speak to you right now? Let's do this. I know I'm long, but I feel this. I simply want you to simply ask this question verbally out loud. Say, God, are you pleased with me? Look at me just for a second. You just heard God. Some of you heard yes. Some of you heard no. You either heard it, felt it, sensed it, or knew it. If the answer was no, we can fix that right now. You can simply ask God to forgive. Say, Father God, I ask you to forgive me. I confess it as sin. I ask you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Just as your word says in 1 John. Now I want you to ask the, this question. Say, God, have you forgiven me? How many no turned to a yes? Amen. Mine did. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not ashamed. Mine did. He was pleased with you when you asked him to forgive you. Pleasing God is that simple. You're just deciding to do what's right. Father God, I ask you to awaken inside of us a heart. Give us a consciousness and an awareness to recognize. And let us make a decision to live a life pleasing to you. Thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Were you blessed today? Or was it just me? I was the only one that got blessed out of this message today. Hey, next week we will be in Camden, so I went on a long day. Next, The week after that, we'll make sure we're out of here on time. God bless you. Go enjoy the rest of your weekend. I'm telling you, everywhere you consciously decide to please God tomorrow, you're going to see God show up in your Tuesday. Amen? God bless you.